have Jonathan Jakes with us for a very specific reason today. We're still in our series. I have one question for you. And I have this very uh, interesting and hard question for Jonathan. And I brought him in because he has a lot of experience. He has uh, been at the Kirk for a long time, but he's also seeking ordination in the church. And so today's question is, what is the purpose of the church? And in this sense, we're asking this question with uh, teenagers in mind and how to, you know, parent teenagers uh, with this type of question in mind. Um, not to say we won't go way off the rails with this, but that's where we kind of came from it. And we have um, a lot of things we want to ask and a lot of things we're trying to answer. But for Jonathan, I want to start off with you. What is the most worshipful experience you've ever had outside of the church? Hmm. First off, thanks for having me on. I'm honored. I love our podcast series. You're doing a great job. <laughs> My most worshipful experience. That's a great question. Um, part of me thinks about, I uh, lived in Uganda, Africa for three and a half months after college and to worship with a small little village church um, that's serving the community of college and seminary students just outside of Kampala, Uganda. You know, these are men and women from all over East Africa um, and hearing them worship the Lord through song and through testimony, um, through service in the community and a variety of different languages. That was, that was pretty surreal for me. Um, I would also say uh, just my wedding, being married to Leah was a very worshipful experience seeing the amount of people come behind us and, and serve us and be there when we came together as husband and wife. I could say the same thing about the birth of both of my children and seeing them both be baptized. A lot of those things, a lot of those events um, are pretty significant as far as worshipful experiences um, because they're not every day. You know, they're kind of yeah. season of life things. Yeah. Um, but I would say over the past 10 years, it's just being with the students at the Kirk every week and seeing them sing together, um, seeing them request certain songs or um, want to use their gifts and talents to play music. Um, and just seeing the faithfulness of God's people come together on a weekly basis to do the same old, same old worshiping God through the word through testimony, through music, through just being together and having dinner. That normal routine is pretty powerful to watch. Mm. You want to know the biggest worship experience I've ever had outside of the church? College football games down in the South. You know? Okay. I'm not saying we're worshiping God okay. in that sense, but, you know, it's... It's very routine and liturgical. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your, your pregame party um, or tailgating, depending on where you're from. And you do your routine. Yeah. You, you share in a meal and then drink for a good long while. You prep yourself. Totally. And then you go into the service of the, the bowl or the dome to watch. And to be entertained, but also be a part and participate as a crowd cheers on. You're cheering. Yeah. You have the, you have you the, have the, the fight song. Yeah. You have everything. In some sense. Yeah. That's a worship experience. Maybe not of the right thing. Totally. But that's sure. a worship experience. Everyone's in it together. Yeah. Yeah. And usually the cool thing about that, about that kind of experience is that there's no, there's no doubt. Like, you know, people, most people aren't dragged yeah. to their, to a sporting event. You know, that might happen from time to time. You come. But everyone's usually people are there because they want to be there. Yeah. Which yeah. is nice to see. Yeah. People dress up. You know, who's on their team and who's not on their team. Exactly. 
in some sense, we should probably do that in church. That'd be kind of interesting. Was your original question, what was my <laughs> most worshipful experience inside the church or outside the outside church? Outside of the church. So I, the I, church. I didn't hear that part. Well, I think. no, for our listeners, I did not. I kind of blindsided Jonathan and I was obviously baiting him with this question. And so I... Uh, I asked this question in the sense of there are a lot of worshipful experiences throughout our culture. And when I think of worship, we mostly think of church. But if you look in scripture, there are a lot of worshipful experiences that we see in God's people, but they're directed in the wrong direction. Totally. But there's this syncretism, which is a fancy word that I learned in seminary, which I can't give the definition of, but I have a loose understanding of. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is syncretism between like the worship experience of church and how that interacts with how we experience our culture today. We love routine. Mm -hmm. We love doctrine. We love, you know, dressing up, you know, going through the motions. We love habits. We love you know, doing all these things because every time we do it, it reminds us of the last time we did it, mm-hmm. they, that we did it. And that in and of itself is similar to what we do on Sunday morning. Is it not? Yeah. You know, so w- what would be another experience? Like so, that? yeah, that, I think that helps me here. And you, you give your, ex- your experience with a sporting event. Um, I would say. I've been to a lot of Switchfoot concerts. Yeah. But even just some some of my other favorite bands, when you go to a concert and the band has a lot of followers and you see these folks all singing in unison, um, fully directed um, towards the band and behind what they're saying and doing and um, sometimes wearing their shirts and, you know, being familiar with which songs are most popular and loved. Mm-hmm. It's that, that shared experience. Mm-hmm. Um, or I would say in comparison to yours, it's, I mean, playing soccer or as I, I call it football, um, is that way to me because even though you may not always be on the ball, you're always part of the game. You need to yeah. be constantly be aware. Yeah. So there's this kind of in tune, uh, everyone's kind of needing to be in tune with one another, yeah. um, on the pitch. Um, even, even when you're, when you're watching the other team, you just have to, have a heads up of, of what's going on around you. So it's just a beautiful game to see everyone always constantly involved. And it makes me think about God and his people. It makes me think about the way the, the word um, it interprets itself and it's always fully integrated. So I would say switch foot concerts, playing football. Yeah. Soccer. Well, yeah. And I, I want to reiterate, like when I say worshipful, we can worship all sorts of things. In, you know, quote scripture, you can't worship both God and money. It's more of you can worship one or the other um, and one is better than the other. And sometimes it's integrated, like you're saying, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. you know, we can worship God through these things um, or we can worship those things in general. Um, And that's where things get convoluted and it gets kind of complicated and hard to distinguish the two. Mm-hmm. Another another uh, area I see a lot of worship, uh, both good and bad. You know, God is worshipped through this, and but also it replaces God for us in a lot of ways. And we've talked about this in a pa- previous podcast. But you know, through school, like the school system, mm-hmm. it's very ritualistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very you no, know, um, you know, determined by the works that you do mm-hmm. on what establishes you in a certain seat within the building, your status between your friends and these people and um, what things do you partake in? In some sense, the school can simulate um, what the church also does um, or vice versa. I mean, if you don't go to church, um, you look at church and you're like, this is a lot like school, Mm -hmm. Um, a lecture. Mm -hmm. There's some, break out small groups of mm-hmm. classes there's some extracurriculars there's a lot to be confused there so my question to you jonathan is what is the purpose of a church mm-hmm. and how does it as a follow-up bonus question mm-hmm. how does it help us worship how does it navigate us how is it different from the culture and the way that we worship but how is it the same how do we how do we stand out among the culture, but also 
you know, stay, stay relevant as a church. But first, let's start with what is the purpose of the church? Mm-hmm. I think people have been wrestling with this question for a long time. I think people have written books about it and are far smarter than me. So most of our good ideas are not original ideas. Yeah. Because it's been mulled over for centuries. Yeah. As someone who's like going into full-time missions, and I'm thinking about this a lot, John Piper wrote a book several years ago. He's a pastor um, in the States here and has done a lot of writing and preaching. And he wrote a book um, called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he talks, it's, it's a book about our role as a church and, and, and helping the world know who God is. And he talks about how the, the end goal um, for missions, for sharing our faith with the world, is not just to get more people into heaven. The end goal is to create more worshipers, mm-hmm. joyful worshipers of God. Not worshipful like worshipers because God needs more worshipers, um, but worshipers in the sense that God has lent himself. He, he gives himself to us um, in a relationship. He wrote another book that, that, that says, it's titled, God is the gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel isn't just a ticket to heaven, a gospel. It's a relationship with the maker of heavens and earth. And so when I think about the question, like, what is purpose of the church? Um, it's to come together and to publicly, publicly worship before the watching world the one true God of the Bible, who the church has always worshipped, who God's people have always worshipped um, ever since he revealed himself to them. That's, what do you mean by the watching people? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, not everyone's in the church. So I yeah. think we have to distinguish who's in the church and who's not in the church. Of course, we can remind ourselves that the church is in a building, just not a structure, although we might say we're going to the church. But uh, the church is um, it's God's dwelling place on earth. It's where... It's where God is. He, he lives among his people. And so as we worship God and as we um, make his name great, we do so publicly. Um, there's not a VIP um, room where we do our worshiping. We do, we, they're, they're public. Anyone can come. And we do that through corporate worship services at a, at a church building. Well, yeah, we also can do that in our sports. We can do that in the way that we work and the way that we um, neighbor and the way that we live our lives every day. And we do it publicly. So that when people wonder why we live the way that we live, we can always tell them who our God is and what he's put before us as the good life. And it's always being done to help people know he's a God worth worshiping because of all that he's done for us. So I would say first and foremost, the churches are worshiping people. Um, And I would say that's in response to what God's done. I'd say like, what has he done? He's come and dwell with us. And so um, one of the things I was thinking about before I came, and we, we started talking was like, if you're looking for God, I remember asking um, some of the guys in my small group for this, like, where's God right now? And they're like, oh, well, he's in heaven or he's in the Bible or he's in creation, which, you know, this show, mm-hmm. all those things are true. But when the spirit came down in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that God is actually dwelling among his people. Jesus came down. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for us, took our sins rose from the dead, gave us his righteousness, ascended to heaven, then poured his spirit down. So another way to answer the question, what's the purpose of the church is we are the representatives of God on earth. We're little gods. Mm. So yes, we worship God and we create more worshipers to help the whole world see that he's a good God worth worshiping because of all that he's done for humanity, for creation. But in other ways, we actually serve our original intent as human beings to be image bearers. Um, to, to bear his likeness and to live like him. In Exodus 19, he actually calls us his treasured possession. And he, he says that, that we are his, that we belong to him. And he makes us this priesthood, this holy priesthood, this kingdom of priests. And Peter talks about it again in First Peter. And so our job is not just to create more worshipers, but it's also to connect people to God. Like we get to be the priests, not the priests that, defile what it means to be a Christian, to be, to be able um, to be a, a Christian, to be a person who believes in the word, but someone who actually joyfully and humbly and honestly and truthfully and lovingly basically walks someone to God. So, I mean, I could have, I could, I could go on and on and on about this because I feel like this is so fundamental to what it means to be God's people, um, to what it means to be the church, the purpose of the church. And this is summarized at the end of like the last thing that Jesus said when he left the earth was, to go and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, like he commissioned us. He said, you are now 
my representatives in places in scripture. He calls us his ambassadors. Like I said, already said, his royal priests. So it's a big job for the church. And it's a job that we can't do without his indwelling spirit. So if you're actually, a, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you're saved, the spirit is in you. We, we know that to be true. So we have help and resource from him. Um, so we're not doing it alone by any means, but that's, that's, that's why I'm profoundly convinced that the only reason that any of us are being kept alive is to tell the next generation, the current generation, the next generation about Jesus. That's a really good explanation of the church. So why do we, why do we drag our kids <laughs> on Sunday morning to this building mm-hmm. um, and to this place uh, to sing and listen and to be among all these other people? Why, why is that a thing? Um, because what you just said is, is true. How much of that needs to be attended to on a Sunday morning? Could mm-hmm. that exist or should that exist without the gathering on a on a, a regular weekly basis? Yeah. I mean, there's so many Christians out there who are worshiping God. And you can do this now with technology, worshiping God in their bed, mm-hmm. in their bathrobe, maybe wearing nothing Yeah, under the covers. And they're just like staying at home on Sunday morning, breakfast in bed. Maybe they're watching a sermon and there's nothing sinful and wrong about that in and of itself. However, if you pay attention to the the whole host of wisdom revealed in scripture, living life like that and, and raising up our kids, raising up our teenagers to believe that it's just their faith. Mm-hmm. First, it's the faith. Mm-hmm. It's very important that we realize this. And like, it's not my faith. It's not your faith. It's we, we, we are all together believing in the faith, the unified faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really important that because we forget, we forget of how dependent we are um, on him. And we, def- we forget how dependent we are on one another. Um, and, and Matthew, I think it's 22. Or 24, no, Matthew 18, I think, talks about how when there's a gathering of believers, we can have assurance that God's there. And so we have to, we have to be together if it's really true that, that we are the representation of God's presence on earth. Then we have to train young people. We have to indoctrinate young people. We have to model for young people what Christian community looks like because it's, it's how we understand God is how we express God is how we relate with God. Um, and I think, you know, I only know this because I've seen adults do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw my mom and my dad, uh, love each other and love other couples go to a formal worshiping place, like a church building and, and go through the liturgy of confessing their sins and of, of receiving the assurance of their salvation of t- taking um, participating in the sacraments, singing hymns, hearing testimonies. I saw them do that and it just made me wonder, you know, and it made me wonder what's true and what's not true. And, um, but it became so like normal, um, that later in college, I'd ask myself, of course, if if this is all the right way, this is, um, so, I mean, I think it's really important to, to kind of go back to scripture and in Hebrews 10, the Hebrews writer is talking to Jews who were very Jewish and then they realized that Christ is the Messiah, the promised one, and they don't really know what to do with this new faith um, in Jesus. They're, they're struggling to understand how that compares with their Jewish belief system prior to Christ. And so they kind of become a little bit dry. And one of the things that the writer says, he says, continue to, he exhorts them to continue to stir each other up. He says, don't neglect meeting with each other so crucial to the faith that you keep meeting with each other. Mm. And that meeting wasn't like a dinner on the side. It wasn't, let's go play golf. Let's go to the batting <laughs> cages. Which is fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, and are those meetings good? Yeah. Are those meetings necessary? The meetings that the Christians in the Bible have together 
they were still fun. They were still life-giving, but it was always surrounded by the word of God, mm-hmm. the actual opening and teaching and preaching of the Bible, yeah, the sacraments, okay, and some sort of some sort of expression of their Christian faith, which usually was in charity, taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows. And so the heart of your question is like, or the answer to your question is, why is it is all that important? Is that because the Bible tells us this is what it means to be God's people. Um, my favorite passage is John 13, 34 and 35. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Um, Cause I think it, it helps illustrate. And then, because you know, if, if if Jesus says it, then we, we it's true, right? If Jesus says do this, and it's true. He's talking to he's talking to his disciples, and about this this commandment, and he says, "A new commandment I give to you: that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another." And then he says the statement: "By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another." Mm-hmm. So this coming together is so crucial because again, it goes back to this, like the watching world um, is wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? They're seeing how we hang out. They're seeing how we worship. They're seeing how we love each other. And it's by the way that we do these things that they can say who God is, that they can know who God is. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's some of what I'm thinking. Can I, can I poke the bear a little bit? Poke it. So Everything you have said has a lot of truth to it and is good. Um, I think what you've said can be found in other places or we often confuse other places with that. And so this is where I'm going to poke the bear. Uh, let's say Christian education, yes. uh, which is phenomenal education. I'm going I'm to say that outright, uh-huh. but often, uh, more often than not, Christian education gets confused with the church because it is a, a, it is normally a gathering of believers who open up God's word on a fairly regular basis to use it in the educational realm. You could use the lunchroom as some sort of communion, but you know, obviously if we get into theology, it's not the same thing. We, we know that, um, but you know, you can obviously see there's a lot of confusion with that. So mm-hmm. uh, Christian education in and of itself is good. Um, but in some cost to the point to where it confuses, mm-hmm. um, the, the need of the church in some sense and vice versa, you know, um, if the church is doing its job, why would there need to be Christian education? Um, mm-hmm. So this could go both ways. Mm-hmm. I just want to poke the bear a little bit and see what you say to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it could go both ways. Right. I mean, the reality is in our Christian schools, um, I've come to realize that there's probably just, there's probably more non-Christians than Christians. And I think that that could possibly be the case in many of our church congregations as well yeah of course so we're uh we're emerging much like you know europe is mm-hmm. the post-christian era mm-hmm. yeah and so i think we just have to be careful and major in the majors um if it if it says it's a school it's a school if it says it's a, an academy it's an academy if it says it's some sort of official learning institute then that's what it is um if if a church is saying that we are a local body of of church members, which would be the visible church, we have the invisible church, which is across the globe of people that are truly repentant and, and followers of Jesus. We have these expressions of the visible church, um, like at our church, Kirk of the Hills. And it's not to say that everyone here is fully committed or even converted um, and, and to, to be repentant followers of Jesus, but there is a disclaim. There is a, 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 a declaration. This is why we are gathering. This is the point of our gathering is to worship Jesus. And maybe a Christian school could say that's the point of their gathering. And if that's the case, then I would say, is it still operating if everyone's flunking? If the point of a Christian school is to worship Jesus, if that's what they say is actually their main goal and everyone flunks and then flunks out, what's, what happens to the school? It closes down. Mm-hmm. At a church, everyone's worshiping Jesus, and we say that's what our main thing is. And we say, "Oh, we're all failing at life as teachers, as 
fathers, as mothers, as husbands, as wives, as kids were just failing left and right, left and right. Does the church, does the church close down then? Hell no. In fact, it, it, it stays open and it's working better than it's ever worked before because you have a people full of, of honesty, of compassion, of, of, of being who, who God has called us to be. And that is his, his beloved children who he loves no matter what, despite our sins. So I think that's the, the, the big piece there. Mm-hmm. Um, a school will close down if people don't do well. You know, I, they'll have to get new students. People have to go away. They'll get kicked out. Like, but the church is different. We're worshiping a God who forgives us. And it's not about grades. It's not about status. It's not about the amount of money you make. It's, yeah. it's about the God who saves. That's, that's the, that to me, that's the big difference. That's the, yeah. the, the message that screams loud. Yeah. 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 And it, I think it gets really tricky in, um, in the sense of, what what role does worship play in the schools mm-hmm. um if it truly is a an education entity mm-hmm. um how much should that dictate mm-hmm. um in the educational realm but in some sense how can we do it more and that mm-hmm. is if you're looking at a view of you know the the new earth to come and you look into revelation we are we are living in a worshipful existence. Mm-hmm. All of what we do is worshipful. Yeah. But even in Revelation, there's there's like these moments, at least in early Revelation, mm-hmm. like you get a, a glimpse of the throne room and mm-hmm. yeah. it's still a gathering and a worship experience. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it's also after that there's still normal life to live. Yeah. Um, so there's something to be said, even in the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. there's something symbolic about still gathering together, even when everything's been restored. Uh, totally. Yeah. And our family was a, it was a family meeting in yeah. my childhood. We had, yeah. we had family Jake's meetings and we had family Jake's meetings when, um, when things were going really well. Mm-hmm. And we had a family Jake's meetings when things weren't going so well. Yeah. And it didn't mean that we weren't a family outside the family Jake's meetings. You know, it doesn't mean that we weren't um, still committed to one another, that we weren't still blood related, that we weren't still operating on some sort of general family daily and weekly and annual schedule. Yeah. But there was something special about coming together and my mom and dad praying with us, yeah. my mom and dad encouraging us and, and affirming things that we are doing well and, and praising us and um, for, for loving people like Christ and reminding us of the ways that God's taking care of us and reminding us of the ways that God will continue to take care of us. Like, and then also like reprimand us and mm-hmm. rebuke us and come together and say like, you know, um, we've noticed y'all haven't been inviting people over. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be more hospitable or we notice that you are sneaking out or we notice that you're doing drugs, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, there, to your point, there is something about that formal togetherness that's, that's unique than just the everyday. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because we're forgetful. Yeah. It was so good as a boy for me to come um, before my mom and dad on a, on a, it was like a weekly basis. And just for, for me to be able to rem- remember Oh, their Lord is Christ. Yeah. And they love me through him. And, and I need, I need to listen to them. And I'm, I was comforted by that. And that's the same case for our corporate worship services. We're forgetful people. Yeah. And when we come together as a body, we need to be reminded of, of those, of those deep truths that have stood the test of time, um, which is different than just what I might experience throughout the week. Yeah. You know, this makes me think of, is if you know if a sports team were to uh (laughs) separate this would be such a weird concept if you think about it if a sports team were to separate for six days a week uh work on their skills you know do their thing you know get as good as they get and then on the seventh day they gather together and they try to perform as a team and on some professional levels at least in my sport they try to do that. Um, but it's also funny, like when you see you, the U.S. Um, four by 100 meter um, track and field relay team should be the best in the world every single year. You know, us in Jamaica, it's just back and forth. The problem with us in the U.S. and versus Jamaica, aside from Usain Bolt, is that those our four guys never see each other. They all live in different parts of the country. Mm. 
And then they try to come together and run the fastest hundred meters in the world four times and try to hand off a baton in a short amount of space. And nine times out of 10, and you can look this up, we fail to qualify um, or we fall short of the gold because we drop the baton. And it's because these guys never spend any time together. So when they, if you think about that in the concept of any sort of team or program, running's a little bit different because it is a, a little more of a, a solo sport. But like, let's say we have a soccer team who mm-hmm. um, we want to develop and become, you know, the, a World Cup qualifying U.S. team, which we failed to do, you know. Um, yes, we did. And, and part of it is, is we're not a, a combined program. Mm-hmm. And the, the, all the best players in the world don't, they know how to play the game of soccer, but they don't know how to play together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can get really good on their own to their own standards, mm-hmm. but to what, to whose authority are they reporting to? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden when they report to this new authority, it's, it's different. So if we were to do that in the sports field or in some other realm, um, it would seem weird and odd that if I, as a coach said, all right, we're not going to meet for practices. I'll just see you at the, at the meets. Um, a parents and kids would be like, that's super weird. I thought we were a team. <laughs> oh, we're a team. Don't worry. We're a team. Mm-hmm. Um, because we gather once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that gathering once a week reminds them we are a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where like Christian education is like really helpful. Mm-hmm. It reminds us like, oh, we can step out into the world out of the church into the world together like mm-hmm. we don't have to go separate places mm-hmm. which is really cool um but it also kind of dilutes each gathering mm-hmm. when you meet too much you get exhausted that's a great point yeah yeah and yeah, it, yeah it, when it's not when, when you're when christians are constantly around each other for a purpose that seems like it's all about the worship and praise of jesus but we're actually doing lots of other things that distract us from that mm-hmm. and Christian education can do that at times. Yeah. I'm just thinking of my own experience at a Christian college. Yeah. Then yeah, it, you, you, you don't hunger and thirst so much for the coming together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, I think you can make a case for the need for some sort of Christian community throughout the week because I think for the most part, our, our experience on like a Sunday morning, for those of us who go to church on Sunday morning, it might feel dry or we might not have a feeling or even a, a contemplative feeling of or thought processing of satisfied um, or feeling joyful or um, it being a, a feeling, a, an experience that is described by being content. I think part of that is because we're not involved. We're not interconnected with God's people throughout the week. So it's hard to come and worship with strangers, yeah. worship with strangers. who you only assume are fellow God fearing people, yeah. but you don't even know their names or you haven't, yeah. you haven't borne each other's burdens. Yeah. Um, and so I think this comes back to John 15, John talk, uh, John is writing and he is recording the words of Jesus who talks about abiding in God. Mm-hmm. And um, earlier in John or later in John in John 17, I think he talks about he's praying, asking for current and future believers to be one with each other and one with him. Jesus, who's praying like he's one with the father and like to have this constant oneness, integrated, interconnected um, unity, abiding is something that Jesus prays for when he's on earth. Yeah. And so we can only assume and imagine that he's some, this is something that he's really passionate about right now, praying for us in heaven. Um, he tells us in John 15, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, like live in it, like rest in it, be a part of it. And again, this is written to followers of Jesus. This mm-hmm. is written to Jesus's disciples and the other disciples surrounding them. If you keep my commandments, that's one way that you do it. You will abide in my love. Follow me, he says, basically, just as I have followed my father's commandments and and abide in his love. And prior to this, he talks about how he's about to die and go to heaven. And and the disciples are sad and they're confused and they're worried. And he says, all these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So like 
what if, what if actually this question of like, what is the church? What does it mean to, to worship? What does it mean to raise our kids up? What if we just use this one verse? All these, all these things I've said to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Like, what if that was the, the, the compass guiding our worship meetings, our church meetings, the way we parent and disciple is the spreading of the joy of Jesus to one another. Like that, that, that guided us throughout the week, that guided us on Sunday morning. Parents modeled that for the youth. Youth look at their parents and see, see them joyfully following the Lord, joyfully loving one another. Um, that would be a very interesting paradigm shift for a lot of students that I've spoken to who don't really see a lot of joy rooted in their Christian faith, rooted in the church yeah. and rooted in worship, yeah. um, especially in our Presbyterian circles. It yeah. can be kind of cerebral. That's something that my wife and I are really trying to wrestle with at home is do our kids see us following Jesus just out of duty, which mm-hmm. is important, D-U-T-Y, yeah. or um, is it just that or is there something else there too? Yeah. And I think that's where I love that, that book by John Piper about God is the gospel. Like, what if he's the ultimate treasure? If he's your ultimate treasure, then of course you're going to go and find Christians to be with yeah. throughout the week. Of course, yeah. you're going to go and find Christians to worship with yeah. once a week because yeah. God's your treasure and you all want to go and treasure him. Yeah. It's the joy that, 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 that motivates you, that moves you. Yeah. get from what you're saying is you know the gathering uh, of the church whether it be once twice three times when i became a christian i went to church as often as i could yeah you know saturday night services, <laughs> sunday early service sunday late service wednesday services you probably had a place you just did you bunk up there too i worked stage yeah <laughs> so i was backstage you know i just hung out with uh, all the, the guys with the band and all that type of stuff and So, you know, gathering with the church is really important because it surrounds you with God's people Mm -hmm. and um, it it gives a a good perspective, but also the joy of community. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people will be like, I don't I don't know if I need that. You know, Mm -hmm. I get I get that community in a lot of different places. You know, this is my church, you know, doing this or that. My sport is my church. And. You know, my teammates used to joke with me when I was in college about, you know, John, you should you should start a running church where we just run with you and you preached. And I go, that's a really interesting concept. And I feel like it'd be fun for a little bit. But then I would also be like, I feel like we're still missing out on something. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is, you know, even if you feel like I've got my community, whether God's people or not, Mm -hmm. um, if you truly fear and love the Lord it's just an opportunity to come and worship him. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget that element, that basic mm-hmm. element. Like mm-hmm. it is a, um, a joy to come mm-hmm. to a place, whether it's, this is why big or small churches don't mm-hmm. matter. It's right. like when you're coming right. and laying your heart before the Lord, um, that is what he rejoices in is when he sees us, you know, reaching out to him and giving him our heart and saying like, this is something I want to offer to the mm-hmm. one who has saved me, which is, you know, my singing and my intention and the love and the joy that I hear from his word. And that in of itself should be motivation enough. And then outside of that, if you, if you have that, you can experience that in a lot of different realms and in in a lot of different types of churches. Mm-hmm. And then after that, what's, which community do you want to do that mm-hmm. in? Which church? Right. Do you feel like you are connected with the people that are doing that with yeah. you and keeping you accountable and mm-hmm. who are discipling you and loving you and taking care of you and providing mm-hmm. for you? I've been in a lot of churches mm-hmm. in a lot of different denominations. Mm-hmm. Most of those denominations believe in Jesus mm-hmm. and believe in, yeah. in the word and truth and all these things. And I can the one difference for all of that is, is there were different people. Um, and that's when I feel, I feel like people, you know, hang their hook is I can't find a church that I, that I love to worship in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sean Hoff was talking about this on Sunday and it, it like really spoke to me. It's like, 
I can't find a church that I love to worship in. And it's not necessarily about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can worship anywhere um, as long as you know the Lord and, mm-hmm. and you are gathering with his people. Right. It's, it's which people do you feel the most called to worship with? Yeah. And what does that mean for you? So, um, I think it's hard in, in America. I yeah. think it's, we don't give ourselves enough mercy as Christians in the United States yeah, because we have, we're not persecuted here yeah. for going to church generally. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I want to move to London is because our churches, the church I'm going to is full of um, former Hindu Muslims and Sikhs, Jews, a lot of them who have been, who've been humiliated and, mm-hmm. and rejected and abandoned by their families for coming to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about the church in China this underground. And I think about the churches that exist in the Middle East. So it, it's hard for us to come together joyfully to really express our gratefulness and our thankfulness to, to God as a public worshiping community, because there's, there's nothing to lose not doing it right yeah and i think yeah. another another distinction of what it means to be the church since day one that god called his people he organized them in the wilderness and they were starving yeah. he organized them coming out of the land of slavery yeah um and they were ungrateful for yeah. he saved them from egypt and they were ungrateful and and i think we see this in the early church the disputes that come out and so I think something something else that parents can try to do, this is something that my parents helped helped us with that I think worked, is how how is your family suffering for the gospel? In what ways are you trying to avoid it? Because we have to be longing, we have to be dependent yeah. to want to to be able to be vulnerable enough and transparent enough to let other people know about our burdens, like moms and dads, as you're listening to this. Uh, do your kids know your burdens? Like how much do they know about um, what you struggle with? Because I think that's a huge, huge need for them to see you wrestle with your own burdens. It's really important for you to, to know about you wrestling with your friend's burdens. Um, there has to be some sort of cost to following Jesus. If any of this stuff is going to make any sense in this side of life, we are way too comfortable. We have, there's way too material. There's way too much convenience and this in the church in the United States for the most part, if we're really suffering and, and, and moving into difficult places and giving a lot of our money away and giving a lot of our time away and having hard conversations about, about sex, about money, about like politics, about all these things that we try to talk so little about all of a sudden we're going to start realizing our, our desperate need to come back to the grace of God. Yeah. I think there was a comedian who said, uh, he wasn't talking about Christianity. He was talking about America. He was talking about, you ever feel like, you know, there's a lot of discontentment in American culture right now. And if you ever feel discontent or upset or dislike America, if you just leave for a week, you'll realize, man, we got it pretty good. There's a lot of truth to that. You yeah. know, when you're when you're sitting comfortably for so long, even generations, even like your family's been sitting for generations comfortably mm-hmm. inside of a faith, it it becomes not watered down, but you just there's no perspective. I mean, that's that's part of the reason why we're going to Japan. Yeah. Is for these students and mm-hmm. even these leaders us to get perspective on the christian faith yeah, like, that what perspective is, it, is huge what is it like to enter into a very similar culture to our own that is completely uninfluenced by the gospel mm-hmm. and we live in a a culture that is fairly well influenced mm-hmm. by the gospel or at least open and christianity is very well known mm-hmm. um to comparative to the world so that that is something that is is really really good. That's why it's really good to have friends and relationships with non Christians. Not only to, give, to have the opportunity to evangelize and to disciple those that may not know Christ, uh, but also for you to realize what is what is it like without it. 
and yeah. you, you watch and you see people that yes. like, navigate this life without it. And you come and you step back and you realize that there is no joy in that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe on a material level, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the material is gone, mm-hmm. and, um, what's left? Yeah. And that's why, like, hear me well, everyone. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying by any means that you have that. There's two books out there that I highly recommend everyone read. One is Radical. Yeah. And one is Ordinary. Yeah. Ordinary was written after Radical. And I think the book in, the book Radical talks about how if you're really going to follow Jesus, you have to sell sell everything and go move into a hut. And I'm like, okay, well, but there's also this this reality of just wherever you are. And it can, you can be in a large home. You can be at a very affluent, prestigious school. You can have a really nice, comfortable job. And by the world standards, a lot of us in the States are living comfortably to your Mm -hmm. point. Um, But just in an ordinary way, how do we identify and move into being dependent people? And maybe if we're not financially, maybe we need to get that way by giving more. Yeah. Maybe if we're not, if we don't feel dependent emotionally, maybe we need to go ahead and lift a few of those rocks in, in the family attic. Yeah. To expose some of the things we never talk about. Maybe it's time for mom and dad to, to, you know, to roll up their sleeves and to really start talking about things that go on in their family that aren't talked about so that the, the light of the gospel can shine. So just in ordinary, everyday ways, we can see grace, us all grow in grace without necessarily having to sell our house and, and uproot our families. You know, <laughs> yeah. it can happen right yeah. here. It can yeah. happen right here. Absolutely. Well, I, I think this is really timely um, and not in my own planning sense, but you know, I think Jonathan is very rooted to the church and has grown up um, in the PCA and has grown up, you know, with, you know, for a while, uh, there's really strong love hate relationship (laughs) with the church and, um, and has really become like this, 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 beautiful image of what is a product of the church for somebody who sticks it out. Um, and, and now he's, you know, taking the next step. Like he is a product of the church has been raised in, in the family and the community to the point to where, um, allowing his faith to, to be so deeply rooted that he's uprooting his family to, um, to go to London and to be missional in, in a community that is, is very much needing the gospel and that is what the church can do and what it, it is like to be raised not only by your blood family uh, but be raised by your faith family and uh, be raised by your jesus family and jesus is, blood family jesus blood family yeah yeah both are blood families but let's not get all yeah. you know dad jokey um, <laughs> I, I try to avoid that as much as possible <laughs> And, and even for my own story, you know, I was raised in a church and, um, but not necessarily in the same sense where I felt that Jesus family surrounded by me. I was kind of left to my own to, de- to define what is truth and what is good. And I'm very thankful that I found a church that was willing um, to preach the gospel um, heavy and hard and often. Mm-hmm. And um, and then from there, the Lord taking me to people that really helped root that in me um, to the point to where I'm pursuing a lifelong um, journey in ministry and what that means and what the Lord's doing that with me. And we're just mm-hmm. a couple of examples, but everybody will have their own story and has their own story mm-hmm. and is developing and as, as our own are. And it, it's just incredible. And churches... I always like to think about what would, um, what would this world be if the church never existed? Mm-hmm. And uh, I sit with that reality. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want to leave y'all with. Mm-hmm. I want to leave y'all with that question. Where would this world be without the church? Mm-hmm. Where would you be? Um, mm-hmm. Where would your kids that's a good be? Question. So that's the series. That's, I have one question for you. We're wrapping it up for the summer. And we're heading into the fall with a new series that we're going to kick off. And I'm really excited about, and um, Jonathan will be here for a little bit and maybe we'll snag him on for an episode before he leaves. But this is at least intentionally the last episode we'll have him on here, at least stateside, maybe across the pond. We don't know, but our new series I want to tell you all a little bit about is uh, biblical application into the adolescent drama scene. And so it will take 
adolescent moments of drama and how do we apply the Bible over the top of those things? Um, and that can be from anything from uh, social drama to cell phone drama mm-hmm. to hormone drama, whatever it is, uh, we'll set up a scenario and we'll, we'll navigate scripture um, and dealing with that scene. So we're excited about that this fall. We have loved this series and we hope to hear um, y'all's comments and your responses um, from the time that we've had with y'all. So thank y'all.